Welcome back, Brown Girls, to another episode of the Brown Girls Guide to Politics. And today we are joined by Dr. Mira Shaw with Planned Parenthood, and we are going to talk about women's health care, something that is important to all of us and something that's going to be even more important under the Biden-Harris administration. And we're going to dive into some of the things that we can expect over the first 100 days. So let's get started. Dr. Shaw, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So first, we just want to know a little bit more about you. You're, you're a fancy doctor which is wonderful. What made you want to go into this field? Yeah, so I am a family medicine physician. So I am trained to care for the basic needs, the healthcare needs of all people. So women, men, trans, non-binary community. So all people. I've really narrowed my focus into sexual and reproductive health care, as well as gender affirming care for the trans and non-binary community. I'm currently the Chief Medical Officer of Planned Parenthood Hudson Peconic, where I oversee 10 of the health centers that are just right outside of New York City. Um, I'm also on the board of Whole Women's Health Alliance, which is an independent abortion clinic where they have health centers in Indiana, in Virginia, and the few other places that are, that are underserved um, when it comes to abortion care. So I I wear a lot of hats, play a lot of roles, um, but that is actually where I am most most happy is providing direct patient care as well as um, lending my voice in a broader in the broader narrative around these issues. Thank you so much for everything that you do. We know it's so important. And was there anything in particular that really drew you to want to work for Planned Parenthood? Um, I mean, it is an organization that I have always looked up to. It's actually where I trained in abortion care when I was a resident. And I was always so drawn to the idea that this organization not only provides care without apology, right? I really just love that this organization provides not only abortion care, but prenatal care and full spectrum sexual and reproductive health care, contraception, STI screening, HIV prevention, the full spectrum. And because the work that that Planned Parenthood does is unfortunately so politicized, Mm -hmm. um, Planned Parenthood has a large part of the organization is to do advocacy, to fight for access and support around this work, which, which I, I, you know, I just love. And so, like I said earlier, not only do I provide healthcare services, I also um, try to advocate as much as I can. I love that advocacy piece because I feel it's so important when you're doing this work. And it's just already come through from talking to you in the first few minutes, just how dedicated you are to the work and to the patients. And it has been so politicized. And we are entering the Biden-Harris administration and There's a lot of good that I personally feel that can be done for women's health care. And on his first day, we saw a stack of executive orders on President Biden's desk. Just absolutely love saying that. And for me, it was just a reminder about how so many people can change their lives with a swipe of a pen. 
and how it does matter who we have in office, but the people like you who we have, you know, behind the scenes who are making sure that the knowledge is out there, that they're advocating properly. So what are some of the things that with the administration would you like to see, especially just coming off of the past four years where we're seeing that women are the hardest hit by the economy, the pandemic. There's just so much at stake for women right now. Yes. And women and, you know, other people with the uterus are definitely the ones who feel the most oppression when it comes to their, their basic needs, whether it be childcare, whether it be accessing contraception, whether it be building or planning their families. And we saw this firsthand in the last four years. So I agree. I mean, I think that a lot of people have a lot of hope for what's to come with this new administration and feeling like, you know, we can finally take a deep breath and just sigh in relief. I will say we have a lot of work to do. Today is the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade was in 1973 um, and made it so that abortion was not a crime in all 50 states. With the new makeup of the Supreme Court leading conservative, I think a lot of people are fearing that that Roe v. Wade could be overturned. You know, this is something that you see a lot in the, the headlines. And while that may be a threat, and that's something that we're definitely, you know, concerned about, I think that there is a lot of hope given that the current administration, as well as Congress, overwhelmingly favors the needs of those with the uterus and have already made promises around implementing policies that will that will provide protections around essential services. What we're hoping to see is more federal protections around reproductive health access. So doing things like repealing the Hyde Amendment will be huge in terms of access. So the Hyde Amendment is something that was passed shortly after Roe v. Wade, a few years after. And what it essentially does is that it prevents people from using their Medicaid or their public insurance um, to pay for their abortion. Now, what that means is it prevents most people from accessing abortion care with their insurance. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is very intentional. This was very deliberate. Um, It was a tactic that was used to prevent abortions from occurring. It's it's, you know, racist in nature, it's oppressive in nature, because most of the people, you know, with Medicaid are, are low income people of color. And so and this was implemented by, by a white man. And, and it's been passed in Congress every single year. And so that's one of the things that I'm really looking forward to is getting one step closer to getting rid of this um, Hyde Amendment so that in every state, the Medicaid program can be used to to pay for abortion. Looking at more protections around abortion access with regards to getting rid of mandatory waiting periods that some people have to have to undergo in certain states. So, you know, the day that you go in for a consult for your abortion in some state, for example, in North Carolina, they have to patients have to after their consult, they have to go home for 72 hours and then come back to get the abortion. This causes significant delays in care. It pushes people out further into gestational age, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're on the cusp of, you know, first and second trimester, 
and you can't come back exactly 72 hours later. And the next time you can take off work, the next time you can find childcare is a week or two later, all of a sudden you're, you're in second trimester, right? And now you have to pay more for the procedure. And, oh, but wait, you can't use your Medicaid in North Carolina, right, to pay for your abortion. So here you are paying out of pocket. So mm -hmm. the, the barriers are just, they just keep adding up, right? Mm -hmm. And so more protections around access with regards to getting rid of waiting periods, you know, getting rid of mandatory ultrasounds, getting rid of like these scripts that doctors have to read, uh, you know, the script of lies saying that abortion is linked to, to <laughs> breast cancer and, and the like, you know, just those things, pro providers, doctors, advocates, we're, we're all tired of it, right? Like we know that, that it's not evidence-based. We know that these things are, are implemented they say it's with the intention of protecting patients, but I know firsthand that they do not protect patients. In fact, they do the, the opposite. They harm patients. And we even have data to, to support that. Um, so I'm excited to have lawmakers who believe science and believe data and you know, are expressing a strong interest in protecting the patients that I serve. More of the conversation after this short break. Who's Rue? Rue is Planned Parenthood's AI-powered sex ed chatbot that can answer all of your kids' awkward questions about sexual health, relationships, and more. Chatting with Rue is free and private, so go ahead and tell your kids they can ask the things they may not want to ask out loud. But know, as a parent, they're getting their information from a non-judgmental and medically accurate resource. Rue's answers are designed ethically. Every answer is medically accurate and up-to-date, backed by professional health educators from Planned Parenthood, the most trusted provider of sexual education. The best part? The more questions you ask, the smarter it gets. Visit Rue now at heardaboutrue.org. That's heardaboutrue.org. script of lies. That is just so true. When you just hear about the things that are told to women and the impact, and you just laid it out so well, thank you for how harmful these laws and these policies are. And next, I'm hoping if we can talk a little bit more about the Department of Health and Human Services, we are going to have a new secretary, uh, Javier Becerra, who is the former attorney general of California. And a lot of people in the Planned Parenthood community really applauded having him in the role because he does care about these healthcare issues. So can you just explain a little bit to the listeners about how HHS Health and Human Services actually interacts with women's healthcare and why this is an agency that they should pay attention to? government agencies provide healthcare guidance um, for providers and, and really are in charge of not only providing guidance, but regulations around the way in which we can practice medicine. Mm -hmm. And so having someone who is supportive of data and science and abortion access and contraception access 
is, is, you know, the best thing that we can do. One of the best things that we can do for, for our patients and also putting people not only who are supportive of the work, but who are people of color themselves, who, you know, who understand what it is like to, to have a lived experience that is similar to those of the patients that we care for is always applauded. So what we've seen so far is a lot of diversity among the, the people who have been placed in really high positions. That has a tremendous trickle-down effect that I'm really looking forward to seeing as time goes on. And we know one of the people that we have in a very high up position is Vice President Kamala Harris. And I think it's just so important that we're going to have an advocate for women's women's health in the White House. And she's going to be the first woman sitting at the table. So many of the bills that she introduced in the Senate really dealt with maternal health and protecting mothers. We know particularly when we want to talk about Black women, just the maternal health issues are, I feel like I can't even put them into words, just with the work that then Senator Harris did. We know that Congresswoman Lauren Underwood, you know, advocates heavily. Can you just talk a little bit more about some of the things we can be doing about maternal health? And it's becoming, from what I see, definitely more of a mainstream conversation But I'm also hearing, especially from so many Black women, just not wanting to have kids because of seeing what happens. There was a story a few weeks ago of a pregnant woman, Black doctor, who died because of childbirth complications. And you're like, if she's a doctor and she's not immune, then, oh my gosh, this This is like a serious issue, but I'm glad it's an issue that our communities are finally talking about more. Yeah, and it's a really, really important issue. Um, You know, you bring up Gamla Harris, who, you know, I'm so excited to see. She's an incredible woman. And she's not only identifies as Black, but she is also of Indian descent, um, which I am. And so I think that's amazing. Her middle name is Devi, which means goddess. Um, Which she is. Which she is. I am of Indian descent. My parents are Indian immigrants. I was born in the United States in the deep South, actually. Um, And to see such diversity in such a high position is, it just brings me such joy. I mean, the fact that she has been unapologetically supportive of sexual and reproductive health care, about LGBTQI rights, about affordable health care for all people, her values are in line with mine. And I'm really excited to see her continue to advocate for for this work and for access to healthcare. You know, you bring up this maternal mortality, and yes, um, we have seen high rates of maternal mortality among Black women and maternal uh, morbidity, so poor outcomes among Black pregnant people during their pregnancy, during delivery, and after delivery. And, you know, the reason for this is, is racism. And it's something that not all we, we, you know, we've had all the stories. And now what, what a lot of people are doing is putting together task forces at the state level, at the federal level. And a lot of grassroots organizations are putting together task forces 
to see, to, to take a deeper look as to what exactly is going on when Black women seek care for their pregnancy. And so that we can, can take a closer look at it, bring, a, bring the much needed attention to this issue, and then try to help fix it. I mean, one of the things that I do from the prenatal and abortion care side is to hire more people of color to pr directly provide those services, right? Because if, if the person sitting in front of you looks like you, that already is taking the first step in trying to eliminate some of those, you know, biases that may occur in the exam room. That's not the only solution, but it is definitely something that has been identified and that many of us in this, in this field and in this work are doing to try and address what's been going on with Black maternal mortality. Thank you. And thank you for what you said, too, about just having more people of color in this space who are serving patients. I think that's so important. And as we wrap up our interview, as we enter these next four years, at the end of these four years, what is your hope for the advancement of women's health care? Where would you like to see us as a country? So I have a long list of <laughs> hopes and desires, many of which I, you know, I have addressed, but I can reemphasize that you know, I do want to see more federal protections around abortion access. I want to see elimination of these um, waiting periods and mandatory ultrasounds and script of lies that are that are required at the state level. I want there to be federal federal policy in place that says that these things aren't allowed. I want um, a repeal of the Hyde Amendment. I want folks with Medicaid in every state to be able to use um, their Medicaid um, to, to pay for abortion. And, you know, I, I also would like Miffy Pristone, which is the abortion pill, to be removed from the REMS list, which is, you know, a, a short list of, of medications that the FDA has that prevents Miffy Pristone from being dispensed from a pharmacy, it has to be dispensed from the provider's office itself. So you can do like a whole telehealth visit for your abortion, but then you have to come to the health center itself to just pick up the meds. You can't go to a pharmacy that's like, you know, in your neighborhood and pick it up. So, you know, while I can send a prescription for Percocet to the pharmacy, I can't send a prescription for Mifepristone that has to be picked up from the office which, you know, isn't, isn't founded in science. There is really no justification for it. It's just that the way it always has been. And, and it's, it's been really difficult to challenge, to challenge that. These are the things that I'm hoping will, will change in the coming years, hopefully in the coming months. It looks like this, this administration is moving fast and, and, you know, I can't, I can't wait to see what they do. Dr. Shaw, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for joining us today. And thank you for everything that you do. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was, this was great. I really enjoyed this conversation. I learned so much. Thank you so much to all of our listeners. Please take time to rate and review wherever you listen to your podcast. For more information on the Brown Girls Guide to Politics, you can check us out at thebgguide.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The BG Guide. The Brown Girls Guide to Politics podcast is produced by Wondermia Network. You can find them at wondermianetwork.com. 
Thank you to our sponsor of this episode, the Planned Parenthood Federation of America. Care no matter what. Until next time, brown girls. There's a podcast that I'm excited to share with you called Pod is a Woman. Join Obama White House veterans, Johanna Masaka, Darian Page, and Alejandra Campoverde as they take you behind the scenes of what actually happens in politics and at the White House. They may have served in a Democratic administration, but at their core, their unique perspectives are simply American. An immigrant's daughter who put herself through Harvard and beat breast cancer, an Iraq war combat veteran raising two daughters, and a married mom raised by bedrock conservatives in a small Midwestern manufacturing town. Each week, the pod women freely share advice and insight into a system of power that's long been controlled by a few, not always good, men, and how we can actually build an American dream for all. Tune in to hear candid conversations with guests like Dr. Jill Biden and Natalie Portman. New episodes of Pod is a Woman drop on Thursdays. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.